you can't escape the debate surrounding Milwaukee streetcar. More people are saying, hey, I wrote it, I love it, it's great, let's continue to see this grow. It's a good line, but it's better if it's expanded. I would argue that it might be cheaper for the taxpayers to pay 15 bucks for every Uber ride as opposed to supporting the hop. Milwaukee is at a critical crossroads. Now we discuss the future of Milwaukee's most distinctive form of public transportation. This is Milwaukee Streetcar, a critical crossroads. Welcome to our conversation, Milwaukee's Streetcar, a critical crossroads, a partnership between News Radio 620 WTMJ, TMJ4 News, and the Milwaukee Business Journal, exploring both the latest extension of Milwaukee Streetcar, the hop, and what the future holds for probably the most hotly debated public transportation <laughs> system, maybe in the history of our fair city. I'm Adam Roberts, News Radio WTMJ, and I'm joined today by the two other cohorts on this project between our three groups TMJ4 News' Adriana Mendez and the Milwaukee Business Journal's Sean Ryan. Thank you both for coming. Yeah, happy to be here. Happy to talk about this latest yeah. expansion. Yeah, it's been a cool collaboration. Yeah, we've been working, for those who don't know, about Two months, I would say, sort of on and off. As we know we all have responsibilities, but we've been tasked to sort of explore both this new L-line extension that at recording will be going in in just a couple of weeks and then sort of look at the bigger picture future of what does this system look like 5, 10, 20 years down the road and also how this will impact you if you're driving downtown Milwaukee directly on the roads. So Let's first, I want to give some context to what we're talking about and why we're having this conversation. Sean, I know you have covered this particular story for many, many years. If you could just kind of give some context of how we got to this point with Milwaukee's modern day streetcar, because it's not the first time we've had this system in the city. Yeah, and those who are uh, supportive of the uh, current streetcar we have now, uh, many of them will go back and lament the uh, trolley system that was torn up, I don't know how many decades ago. But uh, I think you would use the term uh, hotly debated, and uh, that is very accurate for the streetcar. Going back to when the studies began more than 10 years ago, the debates in City Hall leading up to its approval under uh, prior mayor Tom Barrett. And the planning for this, I mean, it stretches back a long way, but the initial route, the route that we have in place now, it started service in November of 2018. But there's a whole system mapped out and concepts that would stretch this system toward National Avenue, National Avenue to the south and then north along Martin Luther King Drive as well. And, you know, city officials, it was back in 2019, they debated about $50 million in local funding that would advance those extensions to expand the system and make it uh, grow even beyond its current footprint. And eventually that stalled in council. So right now uh, what we have is that uh, new route that was built back in 2017-2018 to the lakefront. We all frequent downtown Milwaukee pretty regularly for all of our respective positions. How often would you say, Adriana, you can start, do you yeah. actually use the streetcar? Uh, no. Just to be honest, I, I don't. And the media line, the media route that we took, that was the first time I ever hopped on the hop. Uh, I don't live in the downtown area. I live about 30 minutes away from downtown. So for me, it doesn't make sense as my personal mode of transportation. 
when I do go downtown, it's for a very specific reason, and it's just easier for me to drive to a restaurant or anything like that and find parking. So that was the first time on the hop. Uh, if I did go downtown more, maybe I would utilize it. Maybe with this new expansion, going right by the lakefront, I might utilize it. But I don't go downtown like I used to, and so for me, it just doesn't make sense as my mode of transportation. Now, Sean, the Business Journal's headquarters, I believe, are on a line of the streetcar, is that right, or at least close by? Yep, we have a stop about a block away. We're right off Cathedral Square, and I will say uh, ride it more in the uh, the winter months when it's colder <laughs> outside. I try to get uh, as many steps in when I can during the uh, warmer months, so a lot of times I'll uh, end up preferring just to walk. And some of that, uh, I mean, it goes back to the scale of the system now and, mm-hmm. you know, supporters of it saying that the bigger it is, the more effective it will be and the more widely it will be used. Yeah. And we'll touch on that in just a second, because that's maybe the headline story of all of this as we look to the future. What does the streetcar look like in five, ten years? I personally, so I live in Milwaukee's River West neighborhood. We're here at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee for our studios. So for me, the hop kind of acts as sort of a halfway point. If I want to, I can, let's say it's 20 degrees out. I'm probably still going to be biking because I'm a crazy person. (laughs) But if I don't have to bike the full distance from my house to our studios on Wisconsin Avenue, I'm probably not going to. And the hop does have a Wisconsin Avenue stop. So hop on, hop off. But honestly, since it doesn't take me right up to where I work, I don't use it maybe as often as some people who are more constantly in the downtown network Mm -hmm. do. So now as we look ahead to this new L-Line, It's serving as the first extension of this system, one part of what was originally envisioned to extend all the way north to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, also into the Bronzeville neighborhood along Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, and then south into Walker's Point. Obviously, a lot comes with this, both just numbers-wise, conversation-wise. Let's look at how any kind of extension could be funded, because Sean... With Act 12, with the shared revenue bill that was passed, there is not a lot that the city can do in terms of raising tax dollars specifically for this system. Yeah, and that really sort of changed the landscape of how the city of Milwaukee could pay for this. As with what's been built already, I mean, federal grants would really be a big chunk of the funding for new construction uh, in the exploration of different programs the city could apply to in the future. The expectation was those could cover maybe 70% of the construction and design costs. And some of the engineering work has already been done to extend the system to the convention center along uh, Bell Phillips Avenue, or even to uh, bring it up toward Brady Street along Prospect Avenue. So some of the planning work's been done, some of the engineering work, but paying for the construction gets a lot trickier when you can't rely on tax incremental financing, which is, you know, one way of spending property taxes, because that's been banned by the state law that let the city of Milwaukee levy a sales tax. I'm glad you brought that up, because one of the things I noticed when I was doing my research on fares, and I'll get more on that hard research in just a second, but I talked with other communities who also have modern versions of streetcar transportation systems, and one of the places I looked at was Kansas City where talking with Tom Garand, the executive director of the Streetcar Authority, he told me that essentially they have sort of drawn out districts around where lines are constructed. And if you live in or own a business in that district, it's put to a vote whether or not you'd like to see a system expanded where you live, where you work, where you drive. 
And they have a massive expansion project extending north of their downtown into the Kansas part of Kansas City and then south to their university system. And it's very interesting because I just, I mean, either of you, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Even if the Act 12 situation wasn't present, that just seems like a long shot to ever happen around here. Yeah, I think it would, just given how contentious everything has been so far, I I think it would be a while before anything, any other expansion would happen. But uh, it would be nice to see, you know, the the line expand just a little bit. But like you said, I think it's going to be a long shot. Adrian, I want to focus on construction for a second because we all went on the ride along of Uh the L line. And the highlight feature of that route will be its stop in a new transit hub as part of the Couture High Rise project which as of right now is still under construction. Mm-hmm. So it was very awkward. I think I can just speak candidly going through this thing that's not built, but we're told it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, construction on the line has to kind of coexist with construction right. of this high-rise project. And you looked at this particular part of the story. Yeah, so the streetcar, it's going to run along Milwaukee and Broadway and then go on to Michigan and Clybourne. And as you mentioned, it goes right through or underneath the couture. And it's just so unique to see that active construction going on, a luxury building, 44-story building, more than 300 apartments that are being built uh, right at the couture site. So there eventually will be a stop, a station there where people can get on and off. But as of right now, it's not going to be open once this launches on October 29th. And that is because it is an active construction site. Now, the hop is only going to run on Sundays. And the reason for that is because that is the one day when construction is not going to be taking place. So they're going to do construction Monday through Saturday. Then on Sundays, they won't have any active construction. So that's when the hop is going to run on specifically Sunday. So it's just really unique to see uh, how both projects have to simultaneously work together. And we did speak to the DPW commissioner, and he said just how much of a challenge it's been so far working with officials from the Couture to make sure everything is in place for that October 29th launch date, to make sure that fire hydrants are in in place. Safety fences are also in place to make sure that they can launch on the 29th, but also launch safely as well. So it's just very unique to drive through there during that media preview and see all the active construction Uh, happening around us. I don't know if you two noticed when we were on the ride, but there were construction workers on the Couture site. (laughs) And I remember watching them. They all kind of, a few of them at least, seemed to double take. Like, oh, wait, this was happening (laughs) today? (laughs) I kind of forgot about that. Oh, look at this thing go by. Now, Adriana, something you also touched on in your work is people's thoughts on this construction around city streets downtown and the flow of traffic. Yeah, so I I wanted to see what people's thoughts were on the hop and and the new line and just where it runs. And so I did go to the Cathedral Square location. Uh, There's a station right there right now near MSOE. And I talked to students who were getting off of the hop. and, And I talked to them and I asked them, what do you think about this new L line? And some of them said they're excited for it, that the fact that it goes by the Summerfest grounds. Other people said that they're not excited about it just because they said the route is just a little bit underwhelming. They wish the line expanded further just beyond the lakefront there. So uh, different po- different viewpoints on this new route. But I think in terms of traffic congestion, I think the goal is to help alleviate some traffic congestion and alleviate, you know, help people just with different modes of transportation get to to and from the downtown area. Um, 
when we think about big events in the city of Milwaukee, the big one is is Summerfest for us. About 624,000 people attended Summerfest last year. According to Summerfest officials, that was a, about a 40% increase in attendance rate from the year prior. So it's a lot of people that are going down to the Summerfest grounds. So I think the goal is to help just alleviate some of that traffic congestion. For me personally, I did go to Summerfest last year. I had to park at a a lot adjacent to the Summerfest grounds. I paid $40 for parking, which I thought was a lot. That's a lot. That is is a lot. (laughs) So an adjacent lot, $40 for parking. And the other issue for us was not only did we have to pay $40, when we were getting out of our parking spot, it was the same time everyone else was getting out. Uh, of the Summerfest grounds when the concert said just finished and we were sitting in a little bit of traffic congestion for about 15 to 20 minutes just trying to get out of the downtown area. So with this new line having a stop right there, it might help alleviate some of that traffic congestion in the downtown area during those uh, big festivals or events or even something like um, the fireworks too. A lot of people go down to the fireworks too. This will be another option for people to utilize this mode of transportation. Yeah, and even now with the system we have, before mm-hmm. it even goes to the lakefront, uh, you see it in the ridership numbers when those summer festivals are going on. Yeah. There's more people riding the hop just in its current form. Mm-hmm. So I would expect that to increase once they can take it right up to the right. doorstep of the summer fest. Exactly. I, have, I think it's Bastille Days is the event every summer at that stop yep. where you yep. were at in Cathedral Square where there's lines of people that stop and then the public market, I oh, think, yeah. are the ones that always <laughs> seem to have kind of just a milling around of people waiting for that line. Now, as we look into the future, and we've already kind of touched a bit on it as far as how do we fund expansion? Because there seems to be an undercurrent of people who use the system. They want to see more of that mm-hmm. system. But obviously, that costs dollar dollar bills. <laughs> so, Sean, I'm going to come back to you for a little bit. How do we get creative about funding the system when there are these very, very difficult attachments to work around when it comes to legislation. And the legislation's pretty specific. I mean, the city can't use tax money to pay for the streetcar. But that doesn't mean they couldn't use, say, gifts from a company. You see the city of Cincinnati, and this concept was actually raised during a hearing at City Hall here in Milwaukee a couple months ago. They have a concept where when they give a tax break to a new development, which is something we do here in the city of Milwaukee through tax incremental financing, instead of taking some of the actual tax dollars and putting it directly from, say, a property tax pot of money into the streetcar pot of money, they say, well, you, developer who got a tax break, Give us 15% of that back as a gift, Mm -hmm. and we're going to put some of that toward affordable housing. We're going to put some of that toward our streetcar system. And that's worked in the city of Cincinnati, and we've seen even the developer of the Couture, when they're building apartments out in Wauwatosa right now, as part of that agreement, which is also getting a tax incentive through a tax incremental financing district, they're giving a grant to the city of Wauwatosa for affordable housing. Something like that just conceptually could be leveraged toward the streetcar as well. Do you think there's legal standing for that idea? Uh, Questions that are political right now often become legal questions as well, because so many of these disputes end up in the court. I know, Adriana, you mentioned you don't take the hop as often as maybe you'd like to if you had more opportunity. But I'll pose this question to both of you. Would you pay any amount of money for a system that went where you wanted it to go? Yeah, definitely. I think if it makes sense and it makes my commute easier, uh, I definitely would. For me, 
when it comes to parking, even when I go downtown, I have like high anxiety when it comes to parking. Anytime someone invites me anywhere, I always have to ask, what's the parking situation look like? Um, So if it makes my life easier where I don't have to think about parking, I don't have to think about are there any crashes out on the roadways, I definitely would. Sean? If you can make it a practical form of getting to and from work, you've got a big buffer to make a transit system be cheaper than owning a car. Mm-hmm. So there's a benefit to that. And that's for us who have the ability to own a car. Think about folks who don't and what difference it makes for them. So speaking to that crowd, I do not own a car. Mm-hmm. I kind of alluded to it earlier. My primary mode of transportation is my bicycle and then also MCTS, shout out Route 15. <laughs> <laughs> so my whole angle on this story we've worked on was exploring the concept of a fare because it's been one of the talking points that's been brought up throughout the course of this streetcar discussion is, well, if they've charged a fare, no one's going to ride it. And so that kind of struck with me. And I was like, let's test that theory. So I asked our WTMJ listening audience a very specific question, the one I just posed to both (laughs) of you. Would you pay a fare if the streetcar went to where you want it to go? Because I think the the general premise is that where it's going right now, that probably would not work to charge a fare for that system. We see similar systems in Kansas City. We've talked about Cincinnati as well, the Bell Connector, both fare-free, and they've been for some time. And they kind of are structured similarly to the hop. In fact, I believe... The connector in Cincinnati was inspired directly by the hops design. So I asked that question, and the results were very interesting. 77% of the people I surveyed said they would pay a fare to ride a system that went where they wanted it to go. And where that where is varied. You had answers like Fiserv Forum. You had American Family Field. You had Bayview. You had Walker's Point, etc. And so then the next question was, how much would you pay? Again, I'll pose to both of you. What, what's what's your dollar amount? What's your line that you'd set at? Oh, I, <laughs> I maybe maybe five, ten, ten dollars. Maybe I would I would honestly, if it makes my life easier, I will pay whatever amount is set, unless it's not over twenty dollars. I think that's a little too much. But you kind of mentioned a monthly package. If there was a monthly package with unlimited riderships, you pay a, a monthly um, fee. That would make my life easier as well. I would do that. Sean? Yeah, if it's cheaper to do, say, $10 parking downtown and then take the hop toward one of the stadiums, take your pick. And, you know, the cost of the hop is less than the cost of parking there. Sure. So that was also a question I posed in this survey. And once I averaged all of the numbers out, and they ranged everywhere from $0.25 all the way to, I'll never pay to use this thing. (laughs) So taking those answers out of the equation, I came to a rough estimate of about $2.10 was the average price people would pay. Then I took that number and multiplied it by the average ridership for this year. And I took into account what we already know from the numbers from the hop from January through August. Mm -hmm. And then I averaged that out and applied it to the rest of the year, which I know in winter months ridership does drop, but just as a general average. And it was shocking that I came out to with a $2.10 fare, theoretically, over a million dollars in fair revenue would be generated, which is not a drop in the bucket. That's a considerable amount mm-hmm. of money when you consider a system that's over four and a half million a year to operate annually. For operating costs, that's significant. But there is, you know, a trade-off. Other communities who have put fares in place have seen a drop-off in ridership. That is true. And also, and talking with the DPW commissioner, it's important to note a fare system isn't free. Mm-hmm. You know, we see with MCTS and Wisco. They have a very nice fare system, I think, as someone who uses the bus, but that costs money. It's a, 
it's a network system. There's a lot of scanning, and you have to put the actual fare collectors in place. And we've had these fare boxes at stops teased forever and ever, and mm-hmm. they're still not there as the system remains free. So I do recognize that there are costs involved. And I did ask DPW about what those cost estimates would be because they remember, I remember talking with Gerald at the ride along, and he said that they had explored estimates, but as of right now, those numbers were not made available to me, but I do know that they exist. Mm -hmm. So as we wrap up our conversation today, I wanted to pose something to both you, Adrian, and you, Sean, as more just an anecdotal look at this whole conversation that we've had, we being us, the community, local leaders, etc. I think it's safe to say maybe no other public transportation project in recent history for sure, whether it's the, uh, the bus rapid transit project for MCTS, whether it's expanding I-94 to eight lanes or anything else, I don't know if any transportation topic generates more, I'll just say vitriol <laughs> and back and forth than the Milwaukee streetcar. And obviously a lot of that is led by public perception of where the money is going and what the system actually does. I'll pose it to both of you. What role do you think public perception of the system and of how it's operated, what role does that public perception play as we look to the future of the system? Well, for voters of the city of Milwaukee, I mean, historically, they've supported elected officials who have supported trying to expand the streetcar system. Uh, I don't know if this is sort of a how do residents of the city of Milwaukee feel about it so much as how do residents of the state of Wisconsin feel about it. And I think you're going to have very different answers for the two of those. I mean, when there was discussions around the, uh, the sales tax being approved for the city of Milwaukee, you didn't hear much about the streetcar coming from city officials, even if they were supportive of it, because they know you start talking about the streetcar here, somebody in Rhinelander or Take Your Pick is going to think that's not a smart way to spend money. We see parallels, I think, with the American Family Field discussion, too. There's a lot of that that uh, happens here in the state of Wisconsin, and the streetcar is definitely a lightning rod for it. When you mention the streetcar, it seems like people have just very strong opinions on it, and that is saying a lot uh, because we have other construction projects here that the DOT has been working on, and like 794, you see a lot of people with different opinions on that. But when you mention the streetcar, it's like people are extra loud and they really want to get their point across whether they're for it or not. But I think at the end of the day, at the bottom line is, uh, like you mentioned, not everyone has a vehicle or a car. So we have to find ways to offer different modes of transportation for people within the city of Milwaukee. The correlation (laughs) between this and 794, I think, is hitting the nail right on the head. Yeah, because anytime we've seen people have very strong opinions about 794, do we keep it or or do we get rid of it? But it seems like when you mention the hop, people are just so passionate one way or another about it. So it just creates a lot of discussion. And um, I don't remember who it was, but it was an older man who we did an interview with him at TMG4. And he had mentioned how his doctor told him to stop mentioning the streetcar because it was giving him so much anxiety (laughs) and stress. And it does. It gives a lot of people anxiety and stress because just depending on what opinion you have of it. So and it's a lasting anxiety and stress. (laughs) I wonder, you know, five years after whatever happens with 794, that project is built and completed. Are people still going to be as enthusiastic about either supporting or complaining mm-hmm. about it as they are the streetcar now, five years after it's been running? Yeah. 
I want to thank both of you for the great work that you've done on this project, this partnership, if you will, between the three of us. Really quickly, before we end our conversation, I want to give each of you the chance to tell the listener where they can find information that you've each worked on, and then I'll kind of wrap us up. Yeah, so uh, I, you can go to tmj4.com. I will have a look at the routes, the stops, how the L-line differs from the M-line, and just people's thoughts and opinions on this route, whether they're for it or, or against it. So that will be on tmj4.com. Yeah, we'll have it in our print edition. You can also look at bizjournals.com slash Milwaukee. Uh, we're covering the streetcar a lot, and I know there's more presentations coming up to the Alderman soon, so we'll have more stories on it going forward. And for my conversation and analysis of the future of a potential fare system, you can find that on wtmj.com, the WTMJ mobile app. And I'll also be promoting pretty heavily on my Twitter page at Adam Roberts MKE as well. Adriana, Sean, thank you both so much for the hard work you've put into this partnership. And thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It's been fun.